Welcome to CFIR Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are observing men and women in the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of His people. Today we consider the account of the intriguing figure Gideon. James discusses his faith, his encounter with the angel of the Lord, and his military victory over the Midianites with just 300 men. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seeafire.org. You can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to edify the church. So, like I said, we are looking at Gideon today, and the story of Gideon is so popularized now, it's so well known. Well known. I mean, you, you start learning this story really in Sunday school when you're a child, for those of us, for those of you who had the bless, who were blessed uh, to go to Sunday school. And so it's difficult <laughs> to really show this in a different perspective. And chances are, I'm not. However, I do want to say, you know, when we come to the Bible, I've read this, the account of Gideon, and I'm sure you have many, many different times. You know, we read through the Bible, God willing anyway, many, many times, right? And so when we come to a book or to a place of scripture we are very, very familiar with, we kind of have to approach it as agnostics, as basically as the first time reading this account. And so when I did that this week, it actually did change, at least adapted, revised my perception of him, where my tendency would, was to see him, see his faith as kind of a weak faith in him continually testing God and ultimately God's abundant faithfulness in and through his life. And, and that's obviously still the case. God is abundantly faithful. However, he showed me a little bit of a different side to Gideon, and I hope I can convey that um, in this brief time we'll have together. I also want to say briefly, so this gives me an opportunity to explain to you that we obviously have two studies right now. One, one is really a kind of a Bible study. We, we go through over different topics. Right now we are looking at men and women in the Bible, but the first series we did was on apologetics. And that's all on podcasts. The last three videos are actually on YouTube. Um, so that is more of a Bible study. And then our church service is really right now looking at Acts. And probably in the next, that will be uh, concluded in the next couple of weeks. However, in the new year, we're hoping by God's grace, God willing anyway, to have another evening service. It's really designed, well, primarily um, the purpose for that would be evangelical. So to bring non-believers in, and obviously in, in your case, it would be sharing it with unbelievers. So that's what we're doing. So this, this study, you know, we, you see the prayer and, you know, <laughs> at the beginning and the end of the church service and, you know, Obviously, we do pray before and after these studies as well. However, we get together and pray. And so, I just, you know, I leave everybody out off of the video just, you know, for logistics sake. You, you don't know who does and doesn't want to be on video. So that's why you don't see that. Now, with that great prelude, let's consider this man, Gideon. We're, again, starting in the book of Judges chapter 6, and again, this follows immediately after the 40 years of peace 
following Deborah, Deborah's deliverance, well, God's deliverance, obviously, in and through Deborah. So, chapter 6, verse 1. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of Midian for seven years. So remember, last, last uh, week with Deborah's account, it was 20 years. You know, the tyranny was for 20 years. This is seven years. Now, for those of you don't, who don't know, the number seven, it really signifies complete, you know, completion. It's complete, a whole number. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which were in the mountains. So the Israelites had to hide in caves and in the mountains under rock to hide from the overwhelming tyranny of these Midianites. I want us to recognize that the tyranny from Jabin and Sisera in the previous account with Deborah is far more fierce here. And we will see that they do have leaders. The Midianites do have leaders. However, it's really a ragtag gang of miscreants and just basic men. It's kind of a militia. It's this huge militia that are committed to the absolute annihilation of Israel. So we have to recognize that now. So the people are having to hide under rocks. And for those of you who know your Bibles, you know there is coming a day where men and women will be crying for rocks and for mountains to fall on them to save them from the wrath of God. So I want us to recognize that this is a reversal of sorts. We will see that the, the Midianites are actually innumerable, just like the Israelites who came out of Egypt. So God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be would number just like the sand on the seashore. And we will see that. And now what's happening is because of Israel's determination almost to do evil in the sight of the Lord, God is sending great judgment to these people. Now let's, let's review what actually happens. Then, so, so it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would, then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. So, whenever the Israelites would plant, whatever they would sow, and basically it's getting close to harvest time, the, the, Midian, the Midianites and the Amalekites would come in and destroy their crops and some of their livestock. They are trying to destroy the people. You know, they know they're hiding out in caves, so the, the way that they can destroy them now is to starve them either to death in the caves or starve them out, as we've seen in wartime situations. You know, in order to get them outside of the gates, so to speak, you tear down their their ability to get sustenance and get food and provisions. That's a big part of war. And this is what they're doing. So that this is the tyranny that the Israelites are living under. They have to hide in caves, and still, even then, their sustenance is being destroyed. For they would come, the Midianites and the Amalekites, would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without end, without number, and, and they would enter the land to destroy it. That's what their purpose was. That's what they were committed to, namely merely to destroy it. 
So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So remember, this is what, this is what we were getting at in our last study. You know, the Israelites do evil on the side of the Lord. God sells them or hands them over to an enemy. They cry out to him because of that fierce enemy. He, deliver, he sends a deliverer. And remember last week we saw Deborah was a prophetess and a judge. And we're, right here we're going to consider slightly the distinction anyway. Because God sends a prophet first and then he will call Gideon to himself. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you, gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So what God does is in his providence and his great faithfulness, he basically sends the Israelites to church. You know, basically the, the prophet is there to proclaim the word of the Lord, just like any faithful minister does, preaches in and through his word. So God is sending them to church to, to remember, to remember his abiding faithfulness and ultimately his testimony in and through his word, which the people were apt to forget. And if we're all honest with ourselves, the church today is also apt to forget. The same tendencies of the Israelites are the same tendencies of the church. So this is what's happening. This is what's happening. They are, they are living under this oppression, this fierce oppression, and God sends them a church, sends them to church, to recall them to himself. And so he comes and he, and he proclaims exactly the deliverance of, of God in, you know, through Egypt, the, the conquest from starting with Moses and then going into Joshua. And now, I am the Lord your God. This is what I've told you. I've made a covenant with you. I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites, but you have not obeyed my voice, neither in remembering I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me really in my presence at all, no matter if they're secondary, no gods at all. He is our God and only him. So they wouldn't remember that and they didn't remember to not fear the gods of the Amorites. God is God. And so there is no other seeming God to fear, whether it's the devil himself, whether it's a fierce fall, fallen tyrant that rises up in our time, that what fear, what, what, what fear do we need to have when God is for us? When God is for us, who can be against us? But that, the tendency is to forget that. And again, in our contemporary day, we're, we have that self-same tendency. So let's Move on to Gideon, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Ebezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So here's the angel of the Lord again. And as we discussed last week with Deborah, I'm sorry, uh, with the, the account with Joshua with, with the angel of the Lord, which I found obviously to be a Christophany, 
I, it, it may be just conjecture, but I think it's not a far-fetched conjecture to, to suppose this is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. And, and I want to show a little bit why I say that. This fits the character of Jesus to a T. So, uh, and Gideon's threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, we'll see that he has servants. So he's doing this himself. And I, it, again, a bit of conjecture, but he is obviously living under the same tyranny. So I believe he has his servants working out in the field so that the Midianites and the, and the Malachites think that that's all that's going on. And he doesn't go to the threshing floor. He goes to the wine press to thresh the wheat. And actually, it, what it suggests in here is that he didn't even use a sieve. You know, he, he just was threshing it really with his staff. So a meager, difficult task, which was probably kind of a personal portion. We don't, you know, we don't know. None of that is actually in here. But he is threshing his wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And this is where the angel of the Lord shows up. He sits under the tree and watches. He doesn't immediately reveal himself to, himself to Gideon. Let's remember our Lord. Let's remember our Lord sitting at the temple and watching the people give their tithes and their offerings. And that old woman who gave in, who gave as much as she could, a slight, slight amount. And, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth, she's given more than all of these. You know, Christ, Christ abides with his people and he watches over his people. That's what he's doing here. He's sitting and he's observing his servant Gideon before he comes to him. So, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now Gideon is hiding in the winepress right now. You know, so it's a bit, you know, it's a bit incongruous that you know, he's, he's in the wine press, hiding from the Midianites, and yet the Lord of glory, the angel of the Lord, comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Remember when Christ, when Nathaniel came to Christ, and Christ says, Surely, there is no, there is no deceit in this man. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And you know the whole story. But, but before Nathaniel even introduces himself, Christ tells him who he is. And that's who Gideon was. That's what part of the reflection I want us to show, or I want us to notice is the angel of the Lord is not lying to Gideon. If he says he is a mighty man of valor, that is because at this time, Gideon is a mighty man of valor. He knows the tyranny that's going on. He knows the tyranny of his people. And we will see that's what he cares about. That's where his heart is. So let's continue. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So the angel of the Lord appears to him, and he says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And the first response of Gideon, and I know we, we sometimes have an inclination to see this as, as, a, as a doubting, you know, and him testing God. 
his first attention isn't even to this great greeting. You know, it's, it's not even to that. It's, okay, I appreciate that, I guess. Maybe we'll get to that. But my interest, my, my focus, my commitment is to my people. It's to my people. I appreciate the compliment for whatever that's worth. I don't really consider myself a man of valor, but appreciate the compliment. But all I care about are all the people. And so, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Now we will see the angel of the Lord does not answer him again, just like Jesus, because the prophet had already been sent, and that is why they had been handed and delivered into the hands of the Midianites. And, and Gideon knows that. He just doesn't like it. He's waiting for these miracles. He's looking for these signs and wonders. You know, you've done all these signs and wonders whenever we were oppressed. The, ch the people have cried out to you and you've sent them a preacher. You sent them a prophet. You know, you have not yet delivered them. Where are all of your signs and wonders? You know, 40 plus years ago, you did this great, <laughs> amazing miracle in the Valley of Jezreel, at Megiddo, with Deborah, with Deborah and Barak and, and all, that, all of that account. So where are these? Now, let's look at the tendency of the church. That is similar to many in the church today. We read the Word of God, which are full, which is full of many signs and wonders done wrought by God. And so the tendency is, even in our day, to ask the same questions. You know, these miracles happened thousands and thousands of years ago. How can I believe that? I, I, we haven't seen or heard of one since then. The Word of God, the testimony that He has given to us is whole. John makes that clear at the end of the book. So we don't, we don't need His signs and wonders. That was for a time. That was for His special revelation. Now we have all of his special revelation. Signs and wonders will return. Read a revelation. They will return at the end of days. But right now, I just want to make the point that he's asking, where are all these miracles? I'm waiting for the deliverer. I'm waiting for the deliverer that you will work all your mighty wonders and deeds as you've done throughout time. Your whole testimony is filled with men and women given this task and given this you've blessed with this ability to do these signs and wonders but now the lord has forsaken to deliver us into the hands of the midianites then the lord turned to him and said go in this might of yours and you shall save israel from the hand of the midianites have i not sent you let's hear our lord this is so like jesus because he doesn't, again, he doesn't respond to, the, to Gideon's question. He knows Gideon knows why. But he answers, go in this might of yours. You are committed to your people. I can see that. Now, now you know, <laughs> you know why they've been handed over to the, delivered into the hands of the Midianites. But go in this might of yours. Go in this might of yours. You know, your, your, your focus is... Well put. It's not ultimately yet to, to its proper place where he's more interested in doing the will of God. And then a secondary part of that is delivering the people. However, go in this might of yours. Remain committed to your people. Have I not sent you? And we'll return to that briefly. 
So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Now the tendency is to see this as great humility of Gideon. This is not. Basically, he's saying this is not my job. I am of the weakest clan of the tribe of Manasseh. We saw Makir last, last, in our last study. Ebiezer was his other son. So you have East and West Manasseh. Ebiezer was the younger son. So it's the weaker clan of even that tribe. And he's of the weaker lineage even of that tribe. So he's basically saying, where's Ephraim? Where's Zebulun? You know, where are these great tribes that have, that have been so instrumental in all of these deliverances? He's waiting for the same people, for the same tribe who've been typically doing these things, to rise up for the occasion. And he's frustrated that it hasn't happened, but he's also saying, I think you're coming to the wrong man. I also want to make the point right now, he's, Gideon's addressing him as Adonai, lowercase. So Adonai is a lot like Curios, you know, where you can call a man, a master, a lord. You know, and then obviously it's a different context when you're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing here. Adonai can mean just master or lord in, in a human context. And it can also mean lord of glory. But right now he's speaking to him. I think he thinks he's just a prophet. I think he thinks the angel is merely a prophet because we will see he's surprised <laughs> that it was the angel of the Lord. He doesn't know that just yet. So, and the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you again, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Again, this, this has to be blowing Gideon's mind. You know, first of all, I, this isn't even my job, and now you're telling me, I'm the horde, the countless, the innumerable people. Basically, I'm going to take out myself. Okay. <laughs> you know, we'll see about that. Then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, because that's incredible. I need to believe this. Then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Remember, prophets would always have to show a sign. To show a sign to, to, um, to confirm their prophecy. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. We've seen, or you know, maybe you've seen in your Bible readings, when God you know, visits people, they, he tends to just take off before they're ready for it. And a lot like, again, our Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection. He just kind of comes and goes as he pleases. You know, and sometimes he vanishes out of their sight at, you know, to them, the least opportune time. Again, it's according to his faithfulness and, and his righteousness. So, so he's making sure. Okay, okay, I want to make sure, you know, you, you need to perform a sign. So let me go make a meal. Let me prepare a meal, prepare an offering to bring to you. So please just hang tight for a second. I'll be right back. Okay, uh, so he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread. Uh, from an ephah of water, uh, flour, the meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said, to, now it's the angel of God. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. So, your offering, put it on the rock. Obviously, Christ is the rock of ages. So, set it on this altar. Set it on, on this rock. Pour the broth on it, so make it wet. And again, for those of you who know your Bible, Elijah did the same thing against the prophets of Baal before fire consumed the altar, right? So it's the same thing. The angel of the Lord is telling him, the angel of God is telling him, 
set your offering on this, on this rock and pour broth onto it so it's going to be wet. Um, then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So, our great shepherd, our great shepherd has his shepherd's staff, has his prophet's staff, has his rod and he reaches out and with the end of it, he consumes the entire offering. All of your offerings, all of our offerings, all of our prayers, all of our worship, all of that is completely consumed by God. He leaves not a morsel of one brief, even a word of your prayer and of your worship. All of that in its entirety is received by God. And that's what he's showing. That's what he's saying. It's a beautiful account. It's a wonderful account that should, must, should encourage his people. So, and the angel of the Lord. So, uh, fire rose out, uh, out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord de departed out of his sight again, just like our Lord Jesus. So, the offering is consumed and the angel of the Lord ascends back to heaven just like when his life was consumed and then he's and then he rises he teaches his disciples and apostles for a period of 40 days and he returns to his father now Gideon perceived that he he was the angel of the Lord now Gideon knows now Gideon knows it's the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And this would mean immediate death. A sinner, you know, <laughs> an unrighteous person cannot be before the face of God without dying. So he's petrified. He thinks he's about to fall dead in any moment here. And the Lord said to him, Peace with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So God says, Don't worry about it. Letting this one go, I, you know, pretty much willed this thing to come to pass. So, you know, I figured this whole thing out. No, don't worry. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. It's literally Yahweh Shalom. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Ebi's rites. So, immediately Gideon, Gideon built an altar there and called it the Lord is peace. Because now he sees peace from the Lord, from the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord has now come and visited him, and now he sees the peace that, that, that God is going to bring his people. Now, briefly, what I want to say, and give a little disclosure in regards to um, Gideon. Um, I, we, I, we came to Christ about 21 years ago, and I was called to be a preacher early on. And I never wanted to be. I was very reluctant. Uh, I mean, I've never had a problem speaking in front of people. I don't care for the camera, to be honest. But you know, I've never had a problem with speaking in front of people. It's not a fear of that. R read chapter 3 of James. The minister will be judged more harshly than anybody else. So there's, there's a, probably, 
there's likely a special treasure laid up for the faithful ministers in God in heaven. However, there is also a special place in hell for the unfaithful ministers. So there's much to be feared. However, to put it briefly, because we will, like I said, uh, have separate videos regarding our testimonies, and so I'll include this part as well, kind of a longer account of it. But once, once I, once I was encouraged to start doing these, and it was just kind of a progressive thing, I was so blessed when it became kind of a relational, kind of ended up being a preaching, and I've embraced it and noticed and recognized and repented of my previous arrogance. It does not take humility to ignore his call. It takes absolute arrogance to ignore his call and to keep on telling people that in his word he, he encourages his people with the fact that he, with his presence, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And it's the hypocrite who, who tells people that and doesn't live it himself. So I can sympathize a bit with Gideon to the extent, you know, obviously, but, but I can feel his reluctance and, and, um, and so forth. Verse 25, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants, there are the servants, and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So the Lord tells him to take your father's bull, to take your father's bull, the second bull of seven years old. And so this bull is meant to tear down the altar, tear down the altar, um, cut down the wooden image. It's probably an Asherah pole, but couldn't cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock, the same rock, in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the... So he's using the wooden image as the firewood to completely destroy that as well. And he's telling him, he's telling Gideon to take his father's bull. This wouldn't be inexpensive. This is very expensive. Now, how do we reconcile God commanding Gideon to do this and also his commandment to honor your father and your mothers? Briefly, Joshua had told the people, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord and the Lord only which should be fastened on the houses and on the hearts of all of God's people. The household of Gideon's father, Joash, isn't following that. And Joash probably argues, you know, we do worship the Lord God. We do worship Yahweh. We just worship Baal too. You know, we see Yahweh as the all-encompassing, you know, <laughs> the internal, all, you know, infinite being. But Baal... It's useful. We kind of like this Baal situation. So it's a secondary God. He's just a secondary God. Nothing to worry about here. But God is calling Gideon to honor his father by doing this. To restore the household to God. So he's telling him, destroy this altar. 
destroy this wooden image, and with this wooden image, sacrifice your father's bull, one of your father's bulls. And because he feared his father, so Gideon is still scared. You know, he still has great fear at this point. So, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So, he still did it. Okay, Let, let's, let's recognize that. He still did it. It might not have been the time that we'd all think we would do. And let's not, let's not be too hasty. You know, I think some of us imagine ourselves to be more courageous than other, we might otherwise be given the circumstance if it actually occurred to us. Verse 28. And when the, when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? When they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. So this would be heresy. This is a total... This is complete heresy to destroy their God. And so bring out Gideon, bring out your son. It's time for him to die. Uh, but Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? <laughs> would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by mourning. If he is God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jeroboam, uh, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. So Jeroboam basically just means let Baal plead. Really, let Baal plead for himself. You know, are you really here to save God? Are you here, really here to, to work this out because God can't work it out himself? Are you here to plead for Baal? You know, let Baal plead for himself. Now, we don't know if Joash is merely trying to keep Gideon safe, or if now, because he saw his son destroy the altar and restore his household, God willing, it pierces his conscience. And this follows his repentance, hopefully, we don't know, but it could be either of those. There are a number of reasons he may, or, you know, that may or may not be the case of why he gives this uh, response. But I pray to God that it's actually because he recognizes all of this is foolishness. You know, would God? Would you plead for Baal? You know, who, who, who can destroy God Almighty? And should they even act like they do? You know, who are we? To plead for him. God can take care of himself. And basically he sees the, the foolishness of this idol and this idolatry. Hopefully. At least that's what I'd like to think. That's my rose-colored <laughs> perspective of this account. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Now that's right along where Megiddo is. Still is. But... Um, that, so it's right around the same place, uh, the last account with Deborah and uh, Barak. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Ebiezrites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. Now, we remember the half-tribe of Manasseh, Makir, came down with Deborah at the call of Barak. Now, now... The Ebiezrites are coming as well. And we saw Zebulun and Naphtali 
in that last account, but Asher, Asher had not come. Again, what it suggests to me is Asher repented of that. Asher woke up. God enlightened their eyes to their sin, to their heinous sin of leaving their brothers and sisters out to fight the battle themselves. Asher comes to Gideon. They respond to the call this time. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with, with the fleece. Let it, be, let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now, I am going to spare you any sort of conjecture as to this, you know, the symbolism of this account. There, there are many different interpretations that I think are, you know, Interesting, I guess, at best. And, you know, I could give you some of my cute little thoughts, but instead, I think the point is, first of all, it's still an evil and adulterous generation who seeks after a sign. That's what Jesus says. And so this is a sin of Gideon. He's asking, he's testing God here. Let's, let's recognize that. And so God overlooks that. He overlooks that, and he is faithful still, and he, and he acquiesces to Gideon because God is abundantly faithful, because God's grace is true, and his mercy is, has no end. So, Gideon asks, you know, how about, you know, I put my fleece out, and, you know, the, you, you keep the, dry, the ground dry and make the dew just on the fleece. Let's see, and then... I'll know that you're sending me, right? And so that's what happens. And then he's like, ooh, that's interesting. But then it's, you know, and he's able to wring out a bowl full of water from it. It was soaked. And so he's like, oh, that's interesting. But, you know, that's all, not all that difficult. How about this? How about this? One more time, God. Give me one more shot here. I should have asked this the first time. So how about this? This time, dew completely covers the ground. And we have a dry fleece. Now that would be interesting. How do you make the ground around the fleece wet and not the fleece itself, right? So that would be more miraculous. How about, how about we give that a shot? And God acquiesces and he does it. Now, Gideon has no more excuses. Gideon has no more excuses. And we'll see, <laughs> his faith is very severely tested. So let's move on to the very popular account. In chapter 7, then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So, there are 32,000 men at this point, and God said, So Gideon blows the trumpets. We saw in the last, last account, Barak is going around and he can't find people to come down. Gideon finds 32,000 men to come and fight the Midianites and the Amalekites. So he's able to round them up. And now God's telling him, ooh, 
that's cool. That's good job out of you going around and getting all the, good recruiting. <laughs> good, great recruiting. Get in. No, but it's just too many people, you know, because should you, should you gain the victory, Israel will claim the glory for itself. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. Now, there's another account in Scripture where this is what would happen when the Israelites would go out to battle. They would, they would ask all the men, whoever is fearful and afraid, to get out of here. Because that's kind of an infection. It's kind of an infection that, that spreads into the other men. So you would want to get rid of the, You see that cont- even in our own day. I mean, you see, you've seen that through wartime situations throughout time. Because that is, that is ultimately a cancer that typically spreads throughout the camp. So he tells them, um, Whoever's fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So two-thirds of the people were already scared. Now again, these people, the Midianites and the Malachites are innumerable. So, I mean, there's a reason to be scared. <laughs> so, but two-thirds of the people, God has cut it down by two-thirds already. So he said, this, this is too many. Tell them, whoever's afraid, get out of here. And two-thirds of them leave. So Gideon's left with, oh man, all right. 10,000 men, though, that's still pretty good. All right, hopefully, you know, God, I know you can do this. And hopefully I can work with this. But that, that was, that, that hurt. <laughs> that hurt. Uh, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. There it will be that of that of whom you I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you, and of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Who everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, and every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent them. And he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those three hundred men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So, now again. Same thing, right? Many different interpretations of this. And so I'm just going to give you a base. I mean, what's obvious in the account. Basically, you're going to take the men down to the watering hole. They're, they're, they've got to be thirsty at this point. Take them down there. Whoever drinks like a dog, set them aside. Whoever, you know, does it differently, set them aside as well. So the people who got down and drank like a dog he's, were 300 men. So basically, God is saying... I just want the dogs. I just need dogs. My power is almighty. My power has no limit. It has no end. I can deliver the Israelites out of the hands of this innumerable military with 300 dogs. So send the other men away. And that's what happens. It's exactly what happens. So now they're left with 300 men. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But, God knows the heart of Gideon. But if you're afraid to go, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his uh, servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. 
Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. That's what I was saying at the beginning. And when Gideon had come, so again, God's giving him a little provision here. Okay, I already know you're going to ask. So how about this? I already told you, delivered them into your hand, but I know you're afraid. So go down there with your servant Purah and go down to the outskirts, right to the outposts where, you know, right at the edge and, and, and listen up. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have, a, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So Gideon and his servant come down. They come down to the outpost, and again, by God's provision, he overhears the dream of one man. And then... His companion interprets the dream. God blesses this Midianite, this, this, this heathen, with the gift to interpret the dream for his servant Gideon. And he tells the, his companion, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. The Lord is delivering us into his hands. We are going to be utterly destroyed. And Gideon hears this. And so it was, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, that he worshipped. We don't know how. We don't know if he couldn't help but fall on his knees or lift his hands and his eyes to heaven. But we know immediately he worshipped. He worshipped. His faith, is, God is strengthening his resolve, strengthening his faith. And here, it's rising to its peak. He knows the faithfulness of God, and so he worships him. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand, with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he, So, this is your weaponry. This is what he arms the men with, with three hundred men. There are only three hundred men. Not a sword, not a shield, not a spear, not a bow, an arrow, nothing. Not an axe, not a, not a plow, nothing. He, he, he gives them the trumpet. He gives them an empty pitcher and a torch. No fighting tool. No, no military equipment whatsoever. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon is saying here, and let's go back to the mighty man of valor. He is leading these people and he is not like the general who sends his military out, sends his troops, sends his soldiers out and waits at the camp for them to return. No, he goes to the front line. He goes to the front line and sets the example. He leads he is the leader of this gang of 300 men. He is the leader, but he's telling them, take your trumpet, take your empty pitcher, take your torch, surround the camp, okay? But wait, wait for me and do what I do. Okay, when I blow the trumpet, you do that too. And then after this, uh, scream the, Lord, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. 
So Gideon and the hundred men who were with who were with him came to the outpost of the camp. So again, there are three camps of the three hundred. So his his part is just with the hundred men. At the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three, compa- the three companies blew the trumpets and broke their pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands, and, and the trumpets in their right hands were blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And, and every man stood in his place all around the camp. They stood in their place. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout all, the whole camp. And the, army fled to, and the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zerara, as far as the border of Abel Mahola and, by uh, Tabath. So, yes. So, we've seen... Before this account, we've, we've talked about the great deliverance out of Egypt. We've seen the, the parting of the Red Sea. We've seen the, the, the stopping of the waters in Jordan. We've seen the walls of Jericho fall. We've seen the, the great deliverance from, with Deborah and Barak. Gideon asked, where are all the miracles? Where are all the miracles our fathers told you about? And God does not deliver them with a miracle. It's miraculous, it's, it's amazing, but it's not a miracle. It's, it's war deception, which is ethical and fine. That's a story for another time. But there's no miracle here. He delivers his people from this great battle plan. We talked about battle plans from the angel of the Lord when we, talked, when we were discussing Joshua. Same thing. God says, this is how you're going to do it. You don't need a sword. You don't need a shield. You need a trumpet. You need a pitcher and you need a torch. So, what they did, what they would do, what they did in this account, they surrounded the camp, completely surrounded the camp, blew the trumpet. Let's go back to Joshua and also the chapter 16 in Revelation. They blew the trumpet, the war cry, the battle cry. Then they broke their pitchers and they lit their torch into the camp. So, the Midianites and the Malachites are, wake up, they're, they're roused from their sleep by this battle cry, by this trumpet. And then they hear a bunch of noise, they hear war-like noise surrounding them. Think of your surround sound system if you have one. It just surrounds them completely. So they think they are surrounded on all sides, and, and, the, and especially these people who know that the Lord is handing him into the hand of uh, Gideon. They know, so they wake up in fear and great dread. And so, and, and so they're abruptly woken from this trumpet, and then they hear these noises, and then they are blinded. They are blinded by the torches surrounding them, so they can't even see. And so what ends up happening with, within this, because of this confusion, due to this confusion and chaos, they start killing each other. The Midianites and the Amalekites are killing each other. They don't even know what's happening. They don't know who's friend or foe. And in the chaos, they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to survive, and so they're killing whoever is around. (laughs) They, They just are filled with fear. Let your light so shine before men. The light that we shine to fallen men might lead sadly, to their demise. But the people of God are called to shine His light. And that is what 
Gideon and his army do. They blow the trumpet. They blow the battle cry. They <laughs> make a bunch of noise. And then they light their torches. They, show, they shine their lights. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. So, that is all we're going to look at regarding his account, but I do want to briefly talk about if you, if you were to continue your reading into chapter 8, it'll go into the people want to set up Gideon as a king, and he humbly says, no, no, God is our king, God is our king. Then he acts like a king. He gets all of their gold, you know, all of the loot, basically, or part of the loot that they got from the battle. And he makes, with it, he fashions an ephod, an ephod. So that's what the priest would wear. So he, he fashions one of those. And with that, leads to idolatry. The people start worshiping it. You know, we don't, it doesn't say that that's what his intention was. But that was the result. That was the result. He should not have made that ephod. The ephod is meant for the priest. Okay, so... After that, following that, one of his sons, Abimelech, which means son of a king. So he did, you know, he says, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be your king. God is your king. However, my son, I'm going to call him the son of a king. And once Gideon dies, Abimelech, read chapter 9, usurps power like a king. And then God has to deliver them from him. So, again... As we discussed in our last study, the book of Judges is, is a roller coaster ride regarding the people. But that is not unlike our time. That is not like, unlike our time. You know, and, and last week we decried the state of the church. This week I want us to be encouraged. This week I want us to be encouraged that God still reigns supreme. There is a king, an eternal king, who reigns in the land. And he is faithful to his people. He delivers many men, just like the unnamed prophet, many of whom, whose faces and voices we will never see and hear, respectively. But he will raise up, and he always has been faithful to his people. But let us... Continue to pray. Continue to pray for a great awakening, for a great restoration that, in my opinion, she desperately needs. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.